As we continue on in our unbroken sermon series, um, we talk this week uh, looking at Abraham, and we get to this strange story of Abraham being asked to sacrifice his son. And as soon as we hear that, sometimes it's kind of like going, what is this? What is this crazy moment? Who is God? Why would he ask something like that? What I would like for us to do is to put it a little bit in context and to understand some things. You and I have been given the beautiful understanding of we have the whole Bible, right? We have the whole thing in front of us right now. But Abraham didn't have that. Abraham had God of what little we know who came to him and asked him, follow me. I find it interesting at times that people will quickly judge God and say this, how could you follow a God that would ever ask something like that? He would ask for, uh, he would ask for this man uh, to even take the life of his child. But what I find interesting is that some of those same people that will be all upset with God have no problem celebrating the rights of a woman taking the life of her unborn child. I find it interesting that one is vile and the other one is okay. But let's give context to understand where we're coming from today. Let's start in verse, or let's start in chapter 22 and then go back and look through this. In chapter 22 of Genesis, it says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. God here acknowledges that, Abraham, you have a son whom you love. You have followed me, but I know you have a son whom you've loved, and I want you to go to this mountain, and I want you to offer him. Now, before we have the law, before we have the Old Testament, before we have all the things that we have in, in Exodus, Leviticus, and going forward, here's this. The idea of human sacrifice was not foreign back then. It was not foreign. As we will see later on, and we talked about this in the following weeks of the Canaanites, the Canaanites were a vile uh, nation that they did these horrible things. That's what they did. What God is asking Abraham to do is foreign to us. It's foreign to God's character, but it's not foreign to Abraham. Now, we know that God doesn't want Abraham to do this if you've known the story. So again, why did he ask? One, to see if Abraham truly loves him more than anything else. Truly loves him more than anything else. And he does something that's to the culture. God asked something of Abraham to do that's normal in the culture of worship at that point in time with other false gods. Let me give you an example. Who discovered gravity? Don't ask questions, right? Sir Isaac Newton, right? 
But did gravity start to exist the time that he founded it, or did it exist beforehand? It existed beforehand, right? It was always there. God's character and how he loves and what he does has always been there. But right now, they hadn't fully discovered who God was. So for Abraham, even though he loves his son, it's not a foreign request to him. And God acknowledges that he loves him. But he goes back and he says, I want you to trust me and obey me and follow me. Now, what does it mean to trust and obey? What does it mean? There was a man who was at a river and he'd gone out there and he had gotten some people and he had gotten this line, this this kind of line stretched across both sides of the river. He had a wheelbarrow and he was doing all this work and people came out and they were curious, wondering what was going on. And so they watched him. And so the man, as he gathered a crowd and everything, he looked at everybody and he says, all right. He goes, I have this wheelbarrow here and you see this kind of this tight rock walk rope line across this river. How many of you all think that I can take and, or how many of you all think I can walk across this tight rope? Well, you know, Anything's for entertainment. So they're like, sure, yeah, we believe you. And so the guy gets out there and he tight ropes all the way across and he tight ropes all the way back, doesn't fall. Ta da! And people are like, and he goes, now, how many of you all believe that I can take myself in this wheelbarrow all the way across and all the way back without falling in? And everybody's like, going, oh, well, this is interesting. And so he takes it and he takes the wheelbarrow and he walks all the way across. Then he turns it around and he walks all the way back without falling in. And he goes, now, how many of you all believe that I can take myself, this wheelbarrow, and one of you right now across all the way and all the way back? And everybody's like going, yeah, absolutely. And he goes, all right, who's getting in? Now, here's the question. And this is what we have to ask about God. When we say that we love God and that we follow God and we trust God. Trusting is not about knowledge. And trusting is not about understanding or repeating scriptures or being kind or being nice or helpful to people. Trusting God is believing who he is and then doing what he says. Believing who he is and what he says and doing it. It does no good to say, I trust God, but you don't get in the wheelbarrow. Now, why can we trust God? Why can we trust God? Because when God makes a promise, it's based upon his character of who he is. And our God is trustworthy. He's all powerful. He's all loving. All knowing, caring, just. Holy is love. And everything that he has always done, he has promised and has brought it forth and it's come to pass. So when God tells us something, what he's actually telling us is this, not to just be obeying to obey, but to be in relationship with him to say, I believe in who you are relationally, I trust you. If you say it, 
I know your intentions are holy and good and just, and thus I will trust you. Think about this, of what Abraham is. So he's been told to take Isaac and do this, which is, again, it's a very difficult passage. But let's go back and see what did God tell Abraham in the very beginning. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, he says, Now the Lord said to Abram, this is when he first comes to Abram, for his name changed. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham was 75 years old. And God came to him and said, I want you, the land that you've known, I want you to pack up, I want you to leave it, I want you to come follow me. 75. Do you know the reason why I love that story? One of the reasons I love that story is this. There is no excuse to not follow God. Zero. Well, I can't do this, or I can't do that, or I'm too old, or I'm too young, or I, I got this ailment, or I got that, I got... All that is a bunch of bunk. If God calls to you and says, follow me, he's not asking what your problems are. He's asking the only problem, will you trust me or not? Will you trust me or not? Do you think he called Abraham because Abraham couldn't go? God's not going to call us to do something that can't be done. He's going to be the one that empowers it to happen. If he calls you, he'll equip you. He doesn't, there is nothing in this Bible that God commands us to do that is not possible. It is all possible by submitting and following him. Every single time. So he makes this promise, you're going to be a great nation. But he's 75 and he ain't got no kids. I don't know how you become a great nation if you ain't got no heirs, right? Then he goes and does this. A few chapters later, Genesis 15, 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and the number of the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham is 75. At this point in time, older. And God has told him he's gonna be a great nation and Abraham's like going, how? I'm 75, I got no kid. How is this possible? Church, I will say oftentimes, you and I, our problem is that we base what's going to happen based on what it looks like or how it feels. And we take no consideration into what God has said. We go by how it feels, how it looks. And we say by how it feels and how it looks, it's impossible for this 
to change. It is impossible for this to transform. It is not possible for this to take place because I look at it and I feel it. And thus, there can be no hope in this situation. And yet we don't even catch the idolatry of that. Because we're the ones that are going to be on the throne of making it happen. And thus, I can't make it happen. And thus, it's impossible. So I guess you're God. That's how my logic goes. What about yours? Am I missing something? We go by, well, just let me tell I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. But let me tell you how it feels. Well, good grief, if we went by our feelings... We'd probably be in the mess we are right now in our society because of how it feels. Church, God makes promises and He keeps His promises. He keeps His promises based on His character and His faithfulness. And when He makes promises to us, We are called to not go by how it feels, but to grab a hold of those promises. And we are called to embrace those, and we are called to get in there and let God take us where he wants to go and how he wants to do it. Regardless of how scary it feels or how out of control it feels or anything else, God didn't really ask you what you thought. He asked you to come follow him. Now, real quick, just as a side note, What are the promises of God? And there are many throughout the scriptures. And one thing I'm going to share with you is this. If you want to understand God's promises, you need to be in the word, spending time with him daily. You need to be in the word, seeking him in relationship of what his promises are. And as you're in the word... You're also letting him teach you and show you some things. I'm going to say something very loving. I don't mean this ugly, but not everything in there is a promise to you. Now, it may be God's character and how he's functioned, but it's not always a promise to you. I'll give you an example. Proverbs says, train up a child in the way they should go, and when he is old, he shall not depart from it. I'm going to lovingly tell you, that's not a promise. That's a proverb. And the proverb in that moment tells us how things mostly go. And it tells us how things are laid out. But you can't take that and make it into a promise because that's not the literature and the purpose of what that is. It's a proverb and a wise saying. But I will tell you this. You throw everything and give that child to God. You do everything on your part. You're victorious regardless of what's going on with your child. You've played your part. You've been obedient. You've done what you're supposed to do. If you've not done what you're supposed to do, then you need to repent and you need to go to God and say, God, I've not played my part. I've not done what I'm supposed to do. And it's never too late to do what God's called you to do, ever, ever, because God's faithful. He keeps his promises, but he calls us to know what are his promises. That's where we seek after him. Let's go on to the second point. God keeps his promises. He's going to make promises, keep them. And God is even faithful when we are not. 
Praise God, because I have blown it more times than I'd like to count right now. There have been many times that God has called me, Sean, follow me. And I have said, nope. Sean, trust me and follow me. Nope. Sean, trust me and follow. What, what were you saying? I'm too busy. I've got God. Don't you know how many things I got to get done right now? There are sometimes I have missed blessings, and there's sometimes I have messed things up, but God still has worked in spite of me. Amen? He's been at work in spite of me. God is faithful even when we are not. Let's think about Abraham's unfaithfulness. God has made a promise to him that he is going to have, he is going to have heirs that, that are numerous as the stars. Some point in time, if you can ever and I can ever get unbusy, stop at some point in time, shut your TV off, do something, and go get outside the city or the, 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 natural, or the pollution, light pollution, and just look up. Just look up. Just look at the stars. And you can go back and realize, not only is that humbling and amazing to watch what God has done, but it's also this. That is a reminder of the promise that God's kept, and we can see it. We can see it. Not only through the nation of Israel, but we can also see this. But those that have been born of faith, that are heirs through Abraham of just like he was through faith with us, that numerous as the stars in the sky. God keeps them. But think about this. Abraham knows that promise. But in Genesis 12, as they're traveling to Egypt, he has his wife, Sarah. And as he goes there, he's like going, I'm going into this kingdom. You're a pretty beautiful woman. We're about ready to walk in. If they know that you're my wife, they're going to kill me and take you. So let's go. this is a great idea. You be my sister, right? You be my sister. Everything will be okay. So Abraham pretty much said, the only way that I can protect myself is to lie. That's it. That's it. And in this moment, in his mind, his plan is better than God's plan. None of us have that problem, right? God's plan's always right. We realize our plans are not that good. God's plan's always right, right? You can catch my sarcasm. And so he lies. Now, here's what I don't get, and this is what's amazing to me. In all this time, God speaks to this Egyptian king and tells him, you touch her, I'm telling you, I'll have you. And this king goes, Abraham, what are you doing? You almost got me killed. This is your sister. And Abraham doesn't do it once, but twice. He doesn't really, he, he trusts God, but there's moments that he fails. There's moments that he fails. Think of this, at another point in time, Sarah, again, has gotten up there in age and thinking, there's no, we have, we have tried this forever. We have tried this forever. We have tried this forever. So I gotta have an heir. You've gotta have an heir. Here is my slave, Hagar, my servant, Hagar. And so what we're going to do is you are going to have this bond servant here and you all are going to have relations and then that child will be the heir. And so that happens. Anybody remember what happens after that? 
What sounded like a good idea to Sarah, all of a sudden she's upset, jealous, angry, starts treating this woman horrible. Everything else, great plan, except it was a horrible plan. Another time, they don't trust God in what he said. They've got to make it happen. They have to make it happen. And church, that's one of the things of us trying to find balance. What's the responsibility of us being obedient to God versus crossing over the line to starting to become God of our action is gonna make things happen? I'm telling you, it is a fine line and the only way we know it is by walking with God in relationship daily. Listening, paying attention, being corrected, allowing the word to correct us, allowing truth to correct. But even in all this mess up, and think about this, even in all this mess up, God still was faithful to bring about his promises. He gives grace to Abraham by warning these Egyptian kings. He gives grace to Abraham and to Sarah when they have done a horrible thing by trying to have an heir of their own by their own power. And God's grace even extends into Hagar and Ishmael to be able to let them know, I care about you. I know what has happened to you and I will still provide for you in the midst of all this. He is faithful. Church, not everything hinges on you. We're called to be obedient and trust God. So let's not make excuses. Let's not take advantage of God's grace and say that somehow God's in control and I don't really have to be obedient to follow him. That, that's, no, that's even contradictory. Read through Romans. It's contradictory to what the Bible says. God's plans are gonna take place, but he desires his people to surrender, submit, and follow him. But even in the midst of our mistakes, sins. Even in the midst of our sins, we're never going to stop God's plans. We're never going to eradicate his promises because God's bigger than that. He calls us to come to him and trust him. And that's the reason why as he messed up lying about his wife and God had grace and as he messed up with Hagar, even though Sarah said it was okay, God's grace, he's learned and caught this. And so we get into verse three. In 22, it says, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in, in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went, both of them went together. Abraham at times had tried to fix things by doing it his way and made it worse. But when God told him and said, the son whom you love, the very son whom you love, is gonna be offered 
I want you to go to this mountain. I want you to follow me. Abraham trusted. Abraham went. He took his son. This third point. God demands all we have and provides all we need. God demands all we have and he provides all that we need. As Abraham takes Isaac, it says this, and when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Again, for us, this is so vile and so foreign. But if we go back to the time, this was a regular occurrence within religion. There is no law. There is no Ten Commandments. We know who God is, and we know that He does not want human sacrifice. But what He does want is for us to be willing to hold nothing back from Him. Nothing. The willingness to be able to say, I come and I follow you with everything that I have. Many people will say, as Isaac is bound up there, that because of previous things that are said in this chapter, that, well, Abraham had faith. He, he wasn't going to sacrifice his son because he knew that God would provide the offering. He knew that God would bring it. Abraham wasn't going to do it. We try to explain things away because, again, it's an uncomfortable passage. But I want us to go and look at Hebrews. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19 said this, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. It goes on and says this. In 22, it says, Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Again, we're uncomfortable with the language because we've been given the Ten Commandments and because we know the very character of God. But before this, God doesn't, uh, Abraham doesn't know the character of God. He doesn't know all these things that we have the privilege of knowing. And he's going to do this. So please don't try to explain it away. It's uncomfortable. Try to understand it in the context. But I will tell you right now, we know right now that I know that God does not want me to take Caleb or Shiloh and offer them up and kill them to follow God. We know that. God would not have me look at my wife right now and say, you know what? I need to sacrifice you because God has said so. We know we have context now. So we know that's not going to happen. But you know what Jesus does say in the New Testament? If you don't hate your father and your mother... We know God's not a God of hate. He's a God of love. Why is he saying that? Because he's using the extreme example of this. The love that I have for my wife better not even be anywhere close to the love I have for God. The love I have for God should be far and above anything else that I have. Above anything. 
the love that I have for God. Realizing that I love my wife, I've made a covenant with her before God and, and, and man, and I want to honor that the best way I can. But even as I take care of her and my kids, I still have to love God more than I love her. And I'll be honest with you, that's super hard. Is it not? For mankind, that is impossible, but not for God. So as Abraham comes and lays his son on the altar and is ready to sacrifice him, the son whom he loves, but he holds nothing back from God. Now, context of today, asking the question, We know that God's not asking for human sacrifice from us. We know that God's caring in nature of love. We know everything about this side of the cross and the resurrection. But I'll ask you the same question. Are there still things that you hold on so too tightly and you say you follow Jesus, but you're like going, but no, I'm not giving that up. God, I will absolutely follow you into eternity for salvation, but do not ask me to transform my life and lay everything before you. It doesn't work that way. Am I wrong? Am I missing something? When Jesus asks us to die, and remember, the Bible tells us that we don't become better people. The Bible tells us that we must take up our cross. We must die to who we are, be buried, and be risen again as not a better person, a new creation in Christ. A new creation, not by what I have done, but by what Jesus has done. To follow him means that I lay everything before him. Now here's the beautiful thing. As Abraham gets ready to do this, Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. God loves us, and I don't understand why, because we blow it so many times. We fail him. So many times. I fail him so many times. I don't understand why he would continue to show me grace with his obstinate disobedience at times that I have had and at times still have. But yet it is God's grace of his provision, his promise-keeping, his very character 
of the promises He made to us that whosoever comes to Him, believes, trusts, lays it all out for Him to lead and for me to follow, that through faith in Jesus, we become children of the Most High God. And we become brand new creatures, creation. No longer to live in permission to sin, but being righted in order to follow him and being obedient that we are free from sin. Think about this. God demands all we have and provides all we need. If you're gonna follow Jesus, oh, and this will sound horrible. It will sound horrible and I know it will. If you're gonna follow Jesus, we can't put conditions on it. If you're gonna follow Jesus, you can't put corollaries. Absolutely, I'll follow you, but... And can we just all be honest? Maybe some of you in here are better than me. Ah, well, many of y'all are better in here than me, but I'm just saying, better than Jesus. How many of us in here put corollaries on our relationship with God? Can we be honest about that? Anybody else in here, or is it just me? Church? We have to die to that. We have to repent. We have to go before the God who laid everything out because remember the sacrifice that was provided in place of Isaac? His name's Jesus. The ram that was provided in that moment to save Isaac's life, Jesus, the Lamb of God, was substituted for you and me where we should have been slaughtered and our, our slaughtering for our sin would have been just. It wouldn't have paid for anybody or done good to anything. It would have just been justice. God would have had the right to say this. I've asked you to follow me. Have you? No. I've asked you to obey this commandment. Have you done it? No. Have you done this? No. Have you done this? No. Have you done this? No. And on and on and on. The charges that would be against us would be overwhelming and he would say guilty away from me sinner and into eternal fire forever eternity you deserve this you know you deserve it and yet God stepped down from heaven and gave everything up into human form Instead of me being slaughtered for my sin and justice, he came in and took the substitute, being tempted in every way that we are, but not sinning. And then as he went to that cross, and all the sin that have ever existed from Adam and Eve until the child that has not even been born yet, all the sin came upon Christ. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He breathed his last and he died. Willingly, he took our place. 
He was beaten, scourged, mocked, brutally abused. Shamed in horrible ways. By the way, if you ever see a picture of Jesus on the cross, they put that little cloth around it. That that wasn't for his benefit. That was for ours. Because we wouldn't be able to handle the shame that was put forth. Because he was upon the cross, totally stripped bare. Everything about it was laid out. His life, nothing had been withheld. And he was buried. But yet three days later, what happened? What happened? Jesus rose from the dead. Satan went running. Death's hold had been broken over us. For those who put their faith in Christ, for those who begin to say, God, I'm scared to death and I don't even know how to do this, but I'm getting in, you drive. I trust you. God, I would rather have control. God, I'd rather be in control. God, I'd rather call the shots, but that's not how it's set up. You drive, you lead. My trust is in you. I feel like I'm gonna fall off. I feel like there's no hope. It looks like I'm going over the side. It looks like this is never gonna happen, but you are faithful, so you lead. I will follow. I will trust. Church, where are you right now in your life with God? God demands all we have and provides all that we need. He demands it all. He deserves it all. You don't get to hold anything back, but he also provides the very things we think we don't know how to do or the ability to do it. He promises to provide. He promises to take care. What do you believe about that? What do you believe about that? Do you take him at his word? Or are you making excuses? Matthew 13, through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. It's calling every single person whom he loves and he is drawing. Come follow me. Repent of your sin. Place everything in me and come follow me. What questions do you have this morning? This morning, if you're sitting here and right now you feel beaten and battered, I'm going to share with you some good news. That's the enemy who takes away hope, who accuses. He tells you the ways you failed. He tells you that there's no hope. He tells you what's going on. That's the enemy. But I've got good news. Jesus comes, the Holy Spirit comes to convict. 
And when he comes to convict, he comes to convict because there is hope, because Jesus is hope. He comes to convict because he tells you there is a way, because he is the way. He begins to tell you that life is not over because he is the life and he is the truth. And those that submit to him, it's rough, it's painful, it's nasty. But I will tell you right now, listen to all the different people in life reading about the stories of different martyrs, reading about the different stories of people that have gone through the pain, that have gone through the hurt, that have gone through the suffering, that have gone through the moments. And every single testimony that I have ever heard from those who have continued to walk with Christ have said this, everything was worth it. Even the pain, even the hurt, even the things that didn't turn out the way that they wanted, God was faithful and was still turning ugly, nasty, despairing moments into hope. Have you trusted Jesus for salvation if you don't know him? And if you do know him, have you trusted him and said, Lord, I've made conditions on our relationships. I repent and I go to you. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, what we thank you for is how good that you are, how much you love us. God, thank you that you are not looking for us to be perfect. Father, thank you, thank you that you're not looking for us to have it all figured out. Thank you, Lord, that what you and all you ask us to do is to be broken and humbled before you. Lord, forgive us when we are so focused on results instead of faithfulness. Father, forgive us when we are so focused on feelings instead of trusting you. Father, forgive us that we have made it about us and not about you. Lord, forgive us that we have forgotten that some of the moments of our pain and suffering are not meant to glorify us. Those painful and suffering moments that we go through are meant to glorify you. And Father, that you have promised at the end, regardless of this life, as we follow you, there will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. Lord, that you will look at us at the very end. For those that have put faith in you, Jesus, whatever horrible moments we've been through on this earth, when we breathe our last and we open our eyes and see you, you will tell us, well done, my good and faithful servant. You trusted me. You followed me. Welcome in to your eternal reward, which is to be in my presence. Father, we love you. We praise you. Do what you need to do with us, including myself, of how we need to follow you in your faithfulness. It's in the name of Jesus. Amen.